Welcome to Future Charlotte, the podcast where we talk about the issues, trends, and people shaping the future of our city. Our guest today is Doug Shoemaker, a senior researcher and expert in all things tree-related at UNC Charlotte. Doug, thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. So first off, let's just start with the basics. Tell me who you are, what your work is about, and how you got so into and connected to uh, the tree canopy here in Charlotte. I serve as the uh, Director of Research and Outreach at the Center for Applied GIS at UNC Charlotte. And so that's a, a handful. What I really am is I have a doctorate in forestry and I specialize in something called landscape ecology. Now ecology is the study of the relationship between uh, organisms and their environment or each other. Landscape ecology takes those understandings of relationships and spreads them over a landscape. And um, this sort of a framing, a worldview of research really works well in urban situations and especially natural resource considerations like trees, like urban tree canopy, because we can um, not look at just a small piece of, the, of uh, a picture or try to solve a piece of a puzzle. Um, I like the ability to, to use digital mapping, satellite imagery to understand what's going on with a region as a whole. So that led me to, I, I moved here to the Charlotte region in 2005. And, and of course we've seen enormous growth in our, our cities uh, just preceding then and, and through, uh, uh, through till now. And it really made me curious about what the relationship was going to be between our urbanizing land types and the trees that we so value and love and frankly make our city somewhat famous. So that's how I got into specifically looking at trees in Charlotte. So let's talk about the state of the tree canopy in Charlotte and uh, and the surrounding regions. I think people who have spent any length of time here know that we are known as a city of trees. You see it when you fly in and see that big lush tree canopy with Uptown and a few other centers kind of poking out of the middle. But mm -hmm. also if you drive around, you see a lot of development, a lot of red dirt and trees uh, that have been removed to make way for more growth, more sprawl. What is the state of our tree canopy and what changes have we seen in the last uh, several years? Well, well, first, I want to say that uh, this region grows trees really well. Um, we've got ample sunlight. We've got ample water. It's a fantastic place to live if you're a tree. And as such, Charlotte maintains one of the highest tree canopy percentages of larger cities in the nation. We do have a lot of trees, but is it enough? Even back in, you know, with uh, factors like climate change um, affecting how we, we live our everyday lives, as far back as 2010, the city council recognized that trees were an integral part of the green infrastructure that it, it makes Charlotte so attractive. And they set a, a goal of having a 50% tree canopy by the year 2050. So 
they adopted that resolution in, in 2010. And uh, at that point, we were only a couple percentage points away from hitting 50%. So uh, that made it look like it was going to be a slam dunk. However, with um, the Great Recession over, um, particularly starting in maybe 2013, we saw a huge amount of new development come back to the city. And um, we can talk about uh, tree ordinances and tree saves. Uh, I'm not exactly a policy expert, but we can see that when um, new developments come in, when there's new infill sites, they, they really remove most, uh, if not all the trees and um, put up houses. So um, anecdotally, that created a lot of curiosity around um, what, you know, what the losses were and do they aggregate to something that's meaningful. So working with the local nonprofit Tree Charlotte, we contracted uh, the Forest Service working through uh, the University of Vermont Spatial Analysis Labs to, to look at the satellite imagery record between 2012 and 2018, which was sort of the last date that we had good satellite imagery for. And we found that our tree canopy declined from 49% in 2012 to 45% in 2018. So that's um, a net loss of almost 8,000 acres over that, over that time span. And if we took out the amount of new growth from trees during that same period, we lost almost 10,000 acres uh, between 2012 and 2018. That's like three football fields a day for the city. And that's a really you know dramatic statistic. And I think uh, when, when you and I wrote about that and put that out there, we got a lot of attention for it, but I don't know necessarily that it's possible to grasp the scale of that, because it's so many little losses happening in different places. It's such a large geographical area. It's it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that because it's not like we're seeing every single day three football fields contiguous to each other being mown down. Do you think that the dispersed nature of uh, tree canopy and the way that hundreds of thousands, if not more, owners each own little parts of it kind of makes it tough to think about it as a whole and its value as a whole? It, it, it really is. And, you know, as a scholar, I think of this as a, a complex system where decisions that are made on the ground of whether to remove a tree or to put in some houses uh, where they seem to be local decisions. And, you know, when you go to get permitting and zoning, it, it's treated like uh, a local or even site level um, decision to take these things out. But when so many people are doing these things aggregate into these macro patterns that we're seeing of loss, you know, it, it's a lot like the old story of the, the frog in the, the, the pot of water. You can place a frog in a pot of cool water and the story goes, if you slowly increase the temperature of it, the frog will never jump until it's too late and it finds it's in boiling water. 
So that's why um, studies that look at the region as a whole and produce strong visuals like maps of this is where we lost and these are the places where we gained and you can sort of get an idea of the magnitude of the problem are really useful for moving the public dialogue towards thinking more of Charlotte as a whole rather than my home or just my neighborhood. So the frog in the boiling water, of course, uh, also calls to mind climate change and the rising temperatures that we are experiencing locally uh, in places like the Pacific Northwest and Portland and globally. Um, there's been a lot of press coverage around uh, trees lately and their role in urban environments in maybe abating some of that. Let's talk about why we should care about trees besides their aesthetic value. What are some of the practical values, both as it relates to um, climate change and heat mitigation and more broadly? Well, why should we care that we have uh, a nice tree canopy or that we stay a good place for trees to live? Great questions. Uh, from a scholarly standpoint, trees provide what we call ecosystem services. And, and these are both ways that humans benefit from trees, both um, culturally and physically. So uh, the, the one that's, you know, if you've been paying attention, you understand that our nation is hotter and our region, uh, the water comes now in a different pattern. It comes in fast and hard with drought style gaps in between. So this was predicted by the IPCC that this would be the pattern going forward for the Southeast and it's here. Trees are the only um, way that at, at any scale that's meaningful that humans can offset some of the these great global forces that are changing our our world really and providing a new series of threats. So trees, let's let's talk about urban heat for a second. Um, trees cool the world in two ways. They intercept the sun's rays coming so they don't hit the ground and warm up everything underneath of it. Also, all that green living stuff that the branches are holding up in the air requires water, and that water is pulled out of the ground and, the, and it evaporates through the leaves, cooling it. Trees usually have about 13, they're 13 degrees cooler under a forested canopy than you are standing on a lawn, on a lawn and probably even more if you're standing on blacktop. That is a huge difference. That's enormous. And I noticed that just this week when I was uh, took my car from a parking lot, all black asphalt, and, uh, you know, the dashboard thermometer was in the 90s and drove to the South Charlotte neighborhood where I live, where we're fortunate to have great tree canopy. And boom, right, right down to the 80s when I pulled into my yard. It's, it's amazing. And it does this at a very low cost. I was stunned when I really started diving into the of urban heat islands or this effect that cities create when they have lots of impervious surfaces. By that, I mean concrete and pavement and blacktop and, and roofs, right, which don't allow water to uh, absorb and, and, and then re-evaporate. So when, you, when a, a city makes its own weather and it's in its hot spots, um, 
trees are one of the only ways that we can counter that effect. I was stunned to learn that heat is the number one environmental killer of people worldwide and in the United States. It exceeds that of what you might think floods, um, tornadoes, hurricanes. Heat is a number one killer and we are really susceptible to that in Charlotte. So trees are, are trees, trees can be uh, enormous help there. And do you think that in that um, universe of environmental factors that can kill and harm us, heat maybe gets less attention because it's kind of quieter in a lot of ways. It's not as dramatic as a hurricane. It's regular. It comes every year to some degree. So it's hard to say it's easy to ignore. Well, heat heats proportionally affects the people who don't have as big a voice in the community. So seniors uh, and people that have uh, pre-existing health concerns are really affected and people that can't uh, afford to get out of the heat. Um, now, now that, you know, as compared to with a place like Portland, Charlotte is mostly air conditioned and and maybe that's why we don't hear that much because people don't leave their air conditioning, but there's some places that aren't. And when the power goes out, which unfortunately happens, we still have that heat problem. And in fact, I would go as far to say that heat should be considered uh, our number one environmental health problem with air quality a close second. And trees, um, provide solutions for both of those trees. Also, clean the air of particulate matter, which have you know spawned an, ep uh, an epidemic of asthma and a lot of other concerns. So let's talk for just a minute about what trees can do besides um, heat-related benefits. You mentioned uh, stormwater. You also talked about uh, ecology. Tell me just a little bit more detail about the role that trees play in, in those factor, um, in those parts of our environment. So uh, trees take up rainwater. So when we get a lot of rain, uh, trees do a great job of keeping it out of our uh, stormwater engineered infrastructure. And, um, and that keeps it out of Creeks, which you know you'll often see uh, scoured, uh, you know, um, by uh, water coming off of you know big parking lots and roads. So trees can stop a lot of that. And, and what they can't stop, they slow down dramatically. So it doesn't have um, as much potential to do flash floods. Where you see flash floods are places with low vegetated covers or uh, places where they've uh, recently done a lot of development. So it, it's fantastic about that. Trees also provide a lot of biodiversity. You know, um, a lot of the natural heritage that the Carolinas are famous for, it's migrating birds, it's rich flora and fauna are all supported by these trees. And trees in Charlotte provide great layovers, great place for migrating birds to rest on their way to the Northeast and Canada to do their stuff. Um, so it, it's extraordinarily valuable for those reasons too. 
So you mentioned an aspect of tree canopy and equity that I think bears looking at some more. There's been a lot more attention recently on who has trees and who doesn't within a city. You know, just looking through headlines this morning that have been published recently, I saw um, headlines such as what Durham's tree canopy tells us about its racial and class divides. Chicago tree canopy calls for equity and planting in underserved communities. Um, Sacramento's tree canopy reflects the city's enduring inequalities. It seems like there's a lot more recognition than there used to be, maybe even just a few years ago, that when we say an area has X percentage of tree canopy, that it's not evenly distributed and a lot of those uh, inequalities are reflective of other historic divides, especially along race and class. What does that look like in Charlotte? And what's your take on how the equity conversation has changed in the last several years? So great topic. There's a lot of layers to this story. First off, Charlotte follows the pattern that we're seeing across much of the Eastern United States and, and the West where lower income neighborhoods or more diverse neighborhoods, historically black neighborhoods, have less tree canopy than white or more affluent neighborhoods. So what the upshot here is those neighborhoods with less tree canopy are, are then going to be hotter, have poor air quality, let's say be not as environmentally healthy as neighborhoods that do have that, all right? And, um, and we can go back and see that pattern going far as far back to the 30s. You know, I did an overlay of redlining in our city and found that the areas with the D, C and D class rankings, so these were areas that were marked to have more um, non-whites, more immigrants, um, a more risky investment, say, all these areas to this day have less trees. So this is, this is a strong correlation. So scientifically, there's correlations, which mean these two things are, are paralleling each other. And then there's causation. So, so as a scholar, I'm very interested in what's causing those patterns. And, you know, for example, why would redlining um, mean um, that we have fewer trees in, in a place. I agree, it's a, probably a great indicator of general investment in area, but what does that have to do with it? And so my most recent research has been to dig down and, uh, and take a look at what's going on in these neighborhoods. And in Charlotte, these would be historically black neighborhoods. And, and why don't they have as much tree canopy cover? So I'll throw another clue in along the way. When we look at requests for trees, we see the same patterns that areas that don't have much tree canopy don't get requests for trees. You know, there's the city of Charlotte plants trees, Trees Charlotte, the nonprofit will give away trees. There's a lot of ways to get trees, but somehow those neighborhoods 
that have been shorted historically are not asking for new trees. We've seen this happen in Detroit and Philadelphia also. The neighborhoods that do ask for trees are the ones that have lots already. So this is, this is a really paradoxical situation. So uh, Eli, may I just kind of launch on, on you know, what we did and what we're finding? Yeah, that in, would be in regards to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. What are you finding? Uh, what's your what's your work looking at now? So um, we were able to partner with uh, the Revolution Park neighborhood, and it's usually included in the historic West End designation, but it's on the West End. And this is a predominantly African American neighborhood. It's a lot of small single family homes. There's a wide range of ages. Um, there's a, quite a few seniors there, but there's also young people. It's a great demographic. It's got some gentrification, um, but it has a good social network. And this is one of these places where we're able to go in and take a look and sort of ask these questions that, you know, why aren't these people requesting trees? Why are they sort of hesitant to take up programming around maintaining and building the urban tree canopy there. So we did two things. We sent in um, some foresters from NC State's, uh, you know, the state of North Carolina's forestry department to measure. They went to 19 homes that were volunteers in the study and measured their trees, how big they are and do they need care? You know, what's their condition? Uh, and we also, uh, brought in an intern who went and gave a social survey to people that she was able to meet on the street in a, in a casual atmosphere and, and answer some questions about their perceptions of, of risk, costs, and benefits of trees. Now, these results are preliminary. I'm in the process of writing, write up, uh, writing them up now. But what we're finding is there is a substantial cost to growing trees in, in a neighborhood, in a, in, on private land. So for all the public and common goods that trees produce, like cooling the environment, soaking up water and cleaning the air, the costs are borne privately. Um, and for the houses we went to, um, about 30% of all the trees that we measured required some sort of immediate maintenance. They were either dead trees that need to be removed before they caused a problem, or they were branches overhanging structures that could pose a hazard. All right, so when we um, so the next question is, what would that cost? Well, um, if you've monitored the cost of maintaining trees, it's really quite expensive. We believe that the neighborhood as a whole, so this is about 225 households, is on the hook for about $500,000 at bare minimum. The likelihood is the neighborhood as a whole has about 2.5 to $5 million worth of um, deferred or, uh, tree maintenance that they need. This 
is substantial. So this ranges from about 2200 it starts at about $2,200 per household and goes up. All right. And in fact, when we compare the, if we, if we're able to put a dollar amount on the ecosystem services that the neighborhood, uh, that trees deliver to the neighborhood, the cost of maintaining those trees or deferred maintenance matches and in many cases exceeds sort of the benefits that we're getting from those trees. So this is a real problem. Now, when we went to the people, so now we have sort of a ground truth. So let's ask the people what's going on. We found that they do, they do value the trees for almost these universal reasons. You know, they're the ecosystem services they provide, the, 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 the vegetation and green amenities and biodiversity that comes along with that, the cooling effects. So they love their trees but they are super concerned that the number one risk uh, concern for these neighborhoods was a branch falling on their homes. Uh, the third highest place concern was inability to play the pay arborist fees in order to fix a tree or to remove a hazard. And then, you know, why aren't you planting trees? You know, this was another question we asked. Well, concerns about how it's gonna change my property value, concerns about um, whether I would uh, uh, be able to afford it. So altogether, it paints a picture of a neighborhood that says we love trees, but we almost, they're, they're really difficult for us to afford. And we're worried about that. Yeah, I, I saw that, you know, a version of that personally at my house uh, last month. You know, unfortunately we had a, a large tree that uh, was not in good health and overhung the driveway and part of the house and dropped some limbs and smashed up some cars and we had to get it removed on short notice. And I mean, it was a, a huge hassle, a big expense and a stressful situation. And, you know, we were able to do that, but if we did not have the means to do that, I don't know what we would have done. And that really did kind of change, not how I look at trees, I still, like trees and like the trees on my yard, but the view that I've always had my whole life, which is kind of you stick a tree in the ground, maybe you water it <laughs> some, you walk away, everyone's happy. It's an unalloyed good that, you know, is kind of done as soon as you plant it. And I think it's I think it's really interesting that you're digging a little deeper and finding, you know, we uh, we all enjoy the benefits of this great tree canopy, but when you have a hundred foot tree hanging over your house and it's uh, not in good health and it's hazardous. If we don't provide any help for people who can't maintain those trees, is it really realistic to expect we're just going to stick a bunch of uh, trees in the ground and, and walk away in neighborhoods that are underserved? Right. Well, you know, this is a big difference between forests in urban settings where we've, we've got people and structures and in natural settings. And the science is focused on natural settings. There, we're in the process of a big realignment. And what we're, what we're really finding is trees provide these common goods, but the costs are borne privately. This is a big dilemma, but now that it's named, we can start to handle it. A tree, uh, 
should be considered an investment when it gets put in the ground and it's got maintenance. And if you take care of that tree, you put it in well and you maintain it, particularly when it's younger, it can have a long, happy lifetime um, providing services with very low costs. Um, when they're not maintained or when we get behind on it, that's when they become a dilemma. This is so much like any economic model where we, we, we have a, a, some sort of um, tool or a factory that's providing a good and it requires maintenance in order to keep performing. So that's the way we need to look at it. Now, I am so encouraged to hear, you know, the city of Charlotte has a fantastic uh, arborist department and they have some real leaders in the Southeast on these very topics. And I know that they're in the process of looking at programs where they can subsidize, subsidize tree maintenance based on need. But it hasn't happened yet. Um, um, we're also looking at this very same problem with the nonprofit Tree Charlotte. It's my hope, and in fact, we're kind of in process right now about talking about all these things. My hope is is that we can work out things and by fall be able to talk to the, the people of this city and say, listen, we, we have, we're developing programs that help you stay where you are and deal with the trees that are around your home right now so that we can all benefit from that. So that's a, a stay tuned for right there. And so as we grow and develop as this city, uh, changes. We're seeing a lot more infill development and a lot, uh, I think, of encouragement around that. You know, it is good to develop denser neighborhoods to support transit. A mixture of uses instead of a lot of single-family households uh, can be more vibrant. But that can also, that infill development can also have costs for our tree canopy. Do you think that as a city, as a community, we're ready for the sort of mature conversation about trade-offs between things like denser development in close-in neighborhoods and the cost that that might exert, uh, exact on our tree canopy in those neighborhoods? Well, well, we need to have those conversations, whether we're ready for them or not, is a much tougher question. Um, developers have business models that have been very successful and they're all based on the idea that what I do on a site is within the rules, within the permitting and its impacts stay on site, right? Now there's, you know, when we've, we've talked about, you know, uh, more forward thinking developers need to be able to handle new traffic if they're building a place that's gonna have a lot of traffic you know, the state in general is sort of resistance to burdening developers um, with um, extended impacts. Like, you know, when we put in um, a new big development, there's no recommendation, uh, no requirement that they put in, let's say new elementary schools to handle all the kids that are going there. That's left up to the county. But it's time we had that conversation because what's happening right now is uh, land is getting more scarce in Mecklenburg County um, and 
it's it's great that there's like, oh, we're going to do this environmental mindset sort of development called infill, where we're going to go and, and find these little pockets and put in a house here or maybe a duplex here and increase the population density. The issue is, is if we don't look at the aggregated effects of that, um, what we end up doing is we take out all the trees. Infill development is not required to have a tree safe. Okay. And we find that all of a sudden, these little pockets of trees that used to be there keeping our neighborhood cooler, soaking up some water, breaking the wind, they're gone. And we mostly have unbroken uh, impervious surfaces that are heating up and then sending blasting water into our waterways and requiring expensive um, stormwater management infrastructure. All right. So, so the conversation we need to have, I think, talks about, let, let's talk about the trade-offs involved with an eye on outcomes. Um, this, is, this is such a different conversation and it's probably very pie in the sky. But you know, with the 2040 comprehensive plan dialogue going on, we have to really ask ourselves, what do we want our city to look like? And um, if we don't do um, the sort of planning and the sort of protections of these little pocket parks and little uh, enclaves of trees, if we don't save those, then it's, it's gonna be hot and it's more or less irreversible in the immediate future. Now, um, I know that I have tremendous respect for the city of Charlotte planning department. And when you look at the 2040 comprehensive plans, uh, they do a lot to talk about the trees. These small area plans emphasize how many trees should be there. So we're, we're envisioning the, the, the right way and the trade-offs needed. But now we're gonna get into that more difficult work of what do the rules look like that create that vision? So the 2040 comprehensive plan is the vision. Now, how do we realize it? How do we make it real? Um, and that's why your podcast is super valuable because people need to be informed. People need to under, take a look at their neighborhood and, and want to understand. And I ask them to start looking where they don't always expect don't always look at the real estate value. That will work itself out. But start to look at what is my environmental health? You know, do I, do I have the sort of shade and cooler areas? Do I have the places that we can get away and be quiet in? Um, do I have the elements of walkability so I don't have to drive everywhere? What would I be willing to trade off to have that? Would I be willing to have more density? Would I be willing to have a... Uh, a duplex or a triple decker over here? Or do I have to stick with my restrictive zoning, single family home? What does this look like? It's a great conversation to have. Um, I encourage us all that are dealing with that not to retreat to um, principle or, or sort of economic chestnuts, uh, but instead say, what really makes sense for the city I want to live in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now? Well, those are all good conversations to have, and a lot of them are, are very tough, as we've seen recently with the 2040 plan, um, you know, just 
single family versus uh, duplex and triplex. Uh, when you start talking about where people live, their neighborhoods, and and new rules and changes to um, to those basic rules, you touch a lot of third rails pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. We'll see what happens. Charlotte has been able to lead on this subject. Our 2040 comprehensive plan is far and away the um, most forward thinking in the Southeast. But there's also some convergence around there. You know, for the past couple of years, we've been battling with uh, one of the lowest per capita acreage parkland acreages in the United States. Charlotte ranks last in how uh, access to green space parks. And I know that the, the county is looking at that now, the city is looking at that now. This and the demand for passive recreation, like the ability, the ability to go to a park, um, the uh, access to greenways for exercise and to get out. You know, the pandemic revealed that we love our green spaces. We love our passive recreation. This works beautifully with this conversation that we need to have about what we want our city to look at. So there's a lot of momentum and, and I would encourage everybody to take a hard look and, and try to imagine what, that, what our city should look like. Well, as we get to the end of our time here, I just have um, two more questions and I'll, I'll throw them both out. The first is, what is your favorite type of tree? And the second is, if you could change anything, if you had a, a magic wand and you could change anything about our tree canopy, how we approach trees in Charlotte, how we think of trees, what would you change and why? So favorite tree and what would you change? I've recently, now I've known about this tree forever, but it's a real Carolina favorite, black gum. So this is not the sweet gum that makes all those irritating spike balls that um, I step on in my bare feet and send me howling. Um, this is a tree that um, has a beautiful, uh, the leaves turn a beautiful bright red in the fall. It's got a very small berry. It almost looks like a little black olive, but it's tiny that birds love. It's relatively fast growing, fantastic tree. Check it out, black gum. Black gum, okay. Yeah, like Nissa sylvatica. Nissa sylvatica, I think that's the Latin name for it. Um, and so the, the second part? Yeah, if you could change anything about how we grow, how we develop, how we treat our tree canopy, how we think about it, what would you change and why? I think the number one thing I'd like to see is a move to smaller trees. Um, uh, from the survey that we've given in Revolution Park and anecdotally, I know that smaller trees, like, so I'm saying something that maybe goes one story tall, like dogwoods or, or this gum tree. Those sorts of trees do so many of the ecosystem services that we expect out of uh, a big willow oak or these bigger trees that dominate um, our, our city. Now, they do a lot of those same services, but they do it in a way where they're easy to maintain and um, they're easy to, to work with. So right now, our dominant strategy with the city planting trees is to plant. Now, I love that we're planting natives. They're very on top of that rather than exotic trees. They plant natives, but they plant really trees that when they mature will be huge. 
Um, that's, that's a little bit of a radical position on my part, but that would be my wish for the city going forward. Get some trees that can provide us with the ecosystem services and the heat mitigation that we need while being a little more manageable long term, maybe, especially if we're going to keep privatizing so many uh, costs. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Doug, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Um, I always like talking about trees. And uh, where can people find out more about our tree canopy uh, and your work if they're interested in it? Uh, if they would look up the Center for Applied GIS at UNC Charlotte, that's www.gis.uncc.edu. They can find out more about the, our center and the work they do. But I'd also recommend uh, going and looking at Tree Charlotte. Tree Charlotte is a great voice for the city. Uh, they're able to work with a lot of private entities and you can find them on the web to Tree Charlotte, one word. Well, Doug, thanks again. Appreciate it. Hope you have a good day and get to go out and see some trees. Thanks. I plan on it. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.